Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. And we're back for the 200th episode of Ooh. Keep It. Can you imagine? Oh, I'm I'm wizened and <laughs> dead in the eyes, dead in the face, falling apart. This is Ira Madison the third, and I'm joined by I'm Lewis. Let's play a squid game. Play a squid game. Do you? Uh, that's my Lady Gaga reference that I stole from my friend Christian Tucci. Vertel. You first of all, you have not even seen Squid Game. I saw 20 minutes of the first episode, and okay. I bet I'm going to so like it. What you're doing is fronting. Yeah. What you're doing is fronting <laughs> on this show, but there's one thing a squid's going to do. It's play a game. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> I love Christian Tucci's little drawings. Yeah, he's cute. He's little drawings guy. sounds so mean. Yeah. <laughs> His stupid little hobby. Yeah. <laughs> and our special guest this week uh, speaking of a little drawing. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's my new term of endearment now. Okay, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Grossman. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. I'm honored. What number, when I did your live show, was that your 100th episode? It was right around the 100th episode, I think. So, we, yes, you're our centennial favorite. We invite you. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. You host our anniversary specials and stuff. I'm so excited. This is great. Welcome back. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me back. I worship the two of you in a way that's not normal, so it's really good for me to be here. Oh, good. We love that delusion. Bring that with you into the episode. <laughs> I will. <laughs> what have you been doing since we saw you last? Yeah, update us. I don't know if you know this, but this thing happened called a pandemic since then. I don't know if you are <laughs> uh, aware of that. Yeah, yeah. How about how we went, because I that was a live show. How about there was no COVID testing? There was no mass. That was just, we just went out. We just like went out and didn't even think about that. Right. Since then, I have filmed season 10 of American Horror Story. There are only 10 seasons? Only 10. I feel like there are 78. Uh-huh, me too. <laughs> so we are in the middle of that airing, and that took almost a year to do 10 episodes. Mm. Oh, wow. So it was intense because there were the COVID protocol significantly slowed down our pace, like in a way mm-hmm. that we would normally have done it. And then there were a couple shutdowns. Mm-hmm. So we finished like a week ago. Were you out partying in the Hamptons like Ramona Singer? Is that why there were shutdowns, Leslie? I was responsible. <laughs> no, I don't know how. I, first of all, every day of my life, I'm like, well, this is it. I've got it. Now I've got it. <laughs> It was not me, but the funny thing is we had more trouble with shutdown post-vaccine. So it was that Delta came through. We shot without vaccines. We started in November and went through May without one shutdown, Mm. with nobody getting it, no problems. And then it was when we went back after a lot of people had been vaccinated that things started to happen. So I think once we all got vaccinated, you know, the mindset was like, well, let's go. (laughs) 
Remember the three weeks? Remember we had a good three weeks. Remember that? It was like, threw off the map. Back in the world. Yeah, exactly. Everything's open. And then, oh, wait, you could still get COVID. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can picture Concertmaster Ryan Murphy, like, thinking oh there's a season of american horror story in this pandemic moment we're having like is he taking notes and like like who will play leslie grossman (laughs) in the american horror story about this filming i'm sure he is that would be very meta and exciting so anyway frankly i've just been working like working working a lot which has been good for me because it was able to waylay my anxiety which is extreme and intense Mm. Well, you know, we're anxious people, too. Sure. Sorry, this hasn't been a lot of fun. Let's keep going. (laughs) Can I say something? I would love to be on set and just watch you work because you strike me as such a stone pro who then is super fun to hang with in a cast. Like that, I mean, just the nature of the Ryan Murphy shows how, like, all these people come back, you know, again and again. There must be... It's just something rad about this group of people working together time and again. It really is that way, and... I have to say it's the most fun job I've ever had. And you'd think because of the the subject matter that it would be weird and twisty and dark. It isn't at all. Also, we're so lucky and it's not rocket science. So I'm really happy to be there. And now that I've had the chance to do it for several years, like I'm very attached to that crew. Do you know what I mean? I have really good friends in every department and they're such incredible collaborators. So we, Sorry, we do have a lot of fun. Although now I hadn't worked with Sarah Paulson since mm-hmm. Apocalypse. And now it's not possible anymore for me to work with her. It's not, it's not possible. <laughs> I mean, when are you not at dinner with Sarah and Holland? Listen, I can't help it. First of all, can we talk about Holland Taylor for a second? Can we just talk about her for one second? Always. That's my job. That's literally our job. So Holland is someone that I had admired for many, many years. And you know, she was on a show called Bosom Buddies, and it was Tom Hanks. It was a sitcom with Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari, who were yes, it was. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yes. The original Work It, if you will. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> and Holland played their boss. I want everyone to go to YouTube and type in Bosom Buddies Beanbag Chair. There is an episode where she visits their apartment, and there's this whole physical bit with the beanbag chair. And she and Tom Hanks are doing a thing with a lighter, with a cigarette and a lighter, while they're doing their lines. My point is I just long admired her for many years, obviously with her incredible work. And she is one of the few people who is so much better in person and as a person than I had Mm. imagined she would be as brilliant and funny and wonderful and kind and caring. I love her in a way that's not possible. She has been on Keep It. Oh, right. She's been on Keep It. But I interviewed her um, myself uh, and it was the most warm person and and i and i also like love the um the shock on her face as like i started asking her about like um vintage things she'd been in like when she was on soap opera mm-hmm. and she was like how do you know these things and i was like you know what i did not have friends as a child <laughs> <laughs> she's also one of these people where um i had loved her anyway and then when sarah paulson won the emmy for the oj mm-hmm. show she tweeted there it is <laughs> I thought that was so good and so like exactly the attitude like up oh, here it comes. Uh-huh. And they yeah. are they are so wonderful together. I mean, when you're with them together you're like, mm-hmm, this is exactly exactly right. Anyway, what I was going to say is working with Sarah has now become a not possible thing and she loves to hysterically laugh only on my coverage. Mm. <laughs> yeah. One other Ryan Murphy question before we get started. Please. How has your time in you know, the, like, Ryan Murphy players different than when you 
first were part of it on Popular? Well, you know, Popular was his very first show that he ever did. So Mm -hmm. the thing that I love about Ryan, Ryan was always fully formed. You know, he was always this way. And people will ask me like, oh, well, is he different now? I'm like, not at all. (laughs) Everyone needed to catch up to him. I'm telling you, he was exactly the same on his very first show as he is now. So the vibe is not dissimilar. You know what I mean? It really is sort of, I don't want to say it's the same because obviously he's evolved and he's changed and he's an entirely, I mean, he's a studio now. So he's an entirely different human being and the way he works is entirely different. But the core of who he is and the the basic vibe is still there. I always say I would pay so much money to meet him as like a six-year-old because I feel like he would be exact, like he was born a full adult for sure. That's That reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which is uh, Cloris Leachman talking about uh, her Northwestern classmate, Paul Lind, and she said he was oh. born finished. As in, there was, there was nothing to be added to him. You That's know, it was just so there. great. Yeah. I think this could very much apply here. But there's this idea, particularly with Horror Story, that it's maybe very dark or dour or whatever. I find working with Ryan to be incredibly joyous. He's the funniest person I've ever met in my entire life, and nobody makes me laugh in the way that he does. And his perspective is twisted and fantastic, and he's so fucking smart am i allowed to swear on this one? Oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. You, you know what you actually sound like to me is when you know isabel Huppert has been in some of the grimmest movies of all time and when you ask her about it like oh when you film that disturbing scene where we all like <laughs> threw up in the audience how did you feel she goes it wasn't disturbing to me yeah just like, <laughs> which is like french and detached and like that's your problem yeah, yeah. no and exactly and you do become and also what happens is particularly when you work on a show like this and then i'll shut up about this because you didn't even ask me this but <laughs> Now, when I work on something else, I'm like, we're just sitting and having a conversation. I'm like, where's the blood gag? I don't get stabbed. Where's the, like, <laughs> this is boring. Like, you just get so accustomed to everything being on a 10 all the time. You know, you really get used to that world. So anyway. Yeah, it's adrenalized, I bet. Yeah. Yes, it is. So a long answer to a short question is, it's not that different, Ira. It's sort of the same. It's just everything's bigger now. And and now, I mean, when we were doing popular, I used to joke, we might as well do it at a 99 seat theater on Santa Monica Boulevard because nobody was watching that show. So now it's just, there's a lot of eyeballs. You know what I mean? I have VHS tapes back in Milwaukee that prove I was watching popular. I love, you know what? (laughs) Yoga blessing hands to you for that, Ira. Thank you so much. Oh, well, are you ready to do this episode? Let's get into it. 200. We're going to talk about Britney Spears. Of course. She's free, I think. Right. I don't know. The internet says she's free. Okay. So I believe that. And she's tweeting that she's free. So we'll get into that. Uh, also, Facebook and Instagram went down this week and our lives went into disarray. So we're going to talk about that too. I want someone to conduct a rap where they rhyme disarray with Issa Rae. I don't know how we're going <laughs> to get that. Do I have to do it? Yes, you I do. Sh- it shouldn't be me. But I watched your show. It was in disarray. Needed more Issa Rae. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Look what he did. The barbiers have did. paid off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Lewis and I um, interviewed the magnificent Alan Cumming. And let me tell you. Magnificent doesn't even describe it. We literally were like spastically challenging him to remember different pockets of his career, and he went to all of them. So, so I didn't even get to the good wife. I am so sorry. Oh my God. For everyone listening, I'm so sorry for everyone listening. I did not talk about Eli Gold, I did not ask him about the green screen. I'm sorry. I let you all down. I know, right. We, we conferenced about that later. You know, wow. We'll solve yeah. Archie Punjabi another day. 
<laughs> we'll do that in episode 300. Okay, good. That's goals. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we'll be right back with more Keep It. Last Wednesday, L.A. County Judge Brenda Penny suspended Jamie Spears' conservatorship over his daughter, Britney Spears' estimated $60 million estate. Meanwhile, new documentaries by both Netflix and the New York Times detail the high level of surveillance she was under and the attempts by her conservators to delegitimize the hashtag Free Britney movement. And you know what? They lost. <laughs> you can tell they lost because when you drive past the Grove, you see that the Britney in the zone is just a boarded up shack now. <laughs> <laughs> For a minute, I thought I was downright sick of talking about Britney Spears, not because I dislike her or think she's unworthy of discussion, but what actually has like worn on me a little bit is in watching like the new documentary I just saw on Netflix, the Britney versus Spears thing. I'm tiring of watching people react to Britney Spears' story with a look of kind of pity and um, they can't handle anymore how much of a victim she is. Like, I'm sick of that. I want her to be free and I'm happy about that and I don't want to hear from Chaotic Gay Man about it. That's what I want. (laughs) (laughs) I feel the same way. I feel like there's been a lot of documentaries. I feel like the Netflix documentary for me was not giving. Uh, Mostly because when you have been a Britney stan, you know, since middle school, you know things and I feel like each subsequent documentary is just sort of like, rehashing things that we all already know right they and like the few like witnesses in that netflix version that they pulled sincerely weren't giving i mean like britney's one caretaker lady kept saying i don't want to talk about that and like but they had to keep it in the movie because she was one of the closest people to britney they had and then they gave too much airtime to people who were around her for a little while it's like don't give too much airtime to someone who had like a my week with marilyn like relationship with britney for like 65 seconds (laughs) where's jason alexander yeah (laughs) my obsession with the britney thing at this moment in time is I'm going to just put it out on the table. I have a thing for her lawyer in a way that I can't even describe. (laughs) He is, I, first of all, it's like, yes, yes, daddy, come in and save everybody. First of all, he was a federal prosecutor Mm. for many, many years. This is no kind of dummy. He came in and was like, guess who's on the case now? (laughs) And uh, he seemed to have gotten action pretty quickly after he came on the case. He rolled in with a suitcase. I'm very invested in him. (laughs) him. I want to know all about, I want the documentary about that guy. Like I am, I have um, imprinted on him. So sorry, I know that's upsetting, but I am, I don't even know his name. I can't think of his name. Matthew Rosengard. Yes, Matthew Rosengard. I mean, come on. That's like the ultimate prosecutor name. Just like, I know. I can't be the only one. I can't be. He is unfortunately married too. Damn it. Wow. You know, he is is married to. He is. Some woman. Some lawyer. Somewhere. I'm sure she's brilliant. I mean, I hope they have some sort of like Adam's rib situation going on. Mm. A little intolerable cruelty happening. Wow. Adam's rib. Good pull. That's what I imagine lawyers who are married to each other do. Just like battle each other in court. Right. Because why wouldn't you? Sneer across the table and then (laughs) and then and then they're in bed later with arms folded. Oh my god. So look at his client. It's insane. It's insane. Steven Spielberg. Uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, Johnny Depp, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Vedder, Sean Penn. Uh, so <laughs> what, what, wait, was that 
Sean Penn versus Lee Daniels? Is that what that was? Oh. Am I wrong? Mm. Anyway, the client list is insane. DF Management hired him to represent the management company in his dispute versus Juliana Margulies. Oh, okay. Mm. He's mm. everywhere. Yes, he's he is. Everywhere. He's got his hands in it. So what? here's my question. What happens now? What happens now? No, because I mean, like you forget how long the past quote unquote era is like we're talking about a decade and a half, basically. Yeah. So it's also like I think the fans who are most obsessed with her freedom to some degree, I'm sure they just want her to be happy. But also it doesn't mean freedom equates she's going to give you a new album or whatever. Right. So it's like, yeah, what is the next version? Like you almost want her to just do nothing in a way. I know. And just go. I mean, she did say. This is a big step, but there's a lot of healing that has to happen. There was an article in The Atlantic. The author of that Atlantic interview is Spencer Kornhaber, who is fantastic. Uh, usually when there's a great Atlantic article about music, he has written it. But it was a really brilliant take on it. Let's say she's freed of her conservatorship and something happens that might be troubling. or And the people are like, see, mm. wait, maybe she should. That no, she should be allowed to make mistakes, to have missteps in the way that we're all allowed to make mistakes and have missteps. And my concern is, is that the glare is still now, it, it's so much even more intense about well, what's she gonna be like now that she doesn't have this thing keeping her in. And I just hope that people give her a tremendous amount of grace. And that maybe if she does something that people don't jump on it and ring alarm bells and say, she's figuring it out and she's finding her way because this is really like she's been in a state of like suspended animation, you know, and and now she's going to get to resume her life. And I really, really I'm so scared that the same thing's going to happen that happened before. I will say that I think maybe in regards to this, the documentaries have hit at the right time because they really have done a good job of presenting us with like footage of people like Diane Sawyer talking to Britney Spears yeah. in a way that it's just totally disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like, I think maybe there's a heightened awareness of there are specific and myriad ways in which we have mistreated her, and maybe yes. those are more recognizable now. So hopefully, going forward, we can like put that knowledge into our own heads and say, all right, well, let the woman be a functioning human being, which includes dysfunction for a little while. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying, and give her the grace to have the dysfunction like we all do. If Lindsay Lohan can launch a podcast, who's to say that Britney can't have one? I mean, that would be a dream. Free woman. Brought to you by iHeartMedia. <laughs> I mean, that would be incredible. Now, I think that, I also think that the Jamie Spears of it all and this mm. patriarchal, like just that, come on, this shit would never, ever have happened to a man. Ever, 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 ever. Totally. But I do hope that there's institutional and structural change in the way that we view women, view powerful. It just, the, the whole thing has blown my mind that he was able to get this kind of control over her. And she's kind of a hero mm -hmm. in the way that she just never gave up. Brittany was just like, I am going to figure my way out of this against impossible odds and just kept speaking about it. And I was, you know, when we first heard those recordings, those of her speaking to the courts, I found them unbelievably compelling and totally heartbreaking. So I just think like, wow, look what we look what we have done to women and look what we did to this person. So I think the whole thing is is so important culturally, 
you know, structural. I, mm. I, I just find this to be so much bigger than a pop star who got into a crazy situation with her family, you know? Mm-hmm, totally. Well, also so important in the idea that the stories you would hear from other celebrities and people who interacted with her and worked with her, like how they were shut out of her life and how they were sort of witnessing this, it's this idea of like a system that was like happening like to her in Hollywood and other people sort of recognized it was happening, but couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. And you're just sort of like, well, I guess it's out of my hands, you know? Why did this never happen to Shia LaBeouf? I don't understand. And why, and he's now apparently about to start a new movie. Like this is someone who was completely out of control, who has been very credibly accused by several people of really horrific abuse. Why don't you hear that happening to any men who behave? And and by the way, I am, Mm. Brittany did nothing. You know, at all like this. Britney didn't hurt another person. Like, I just, I I find the whole thing shocking. The thing I'll offer is that it's really about patriarchal structures, but also about the music industry, you know? I feel like- That is true. Because he's an actor. I feel like it's so much easier to imagine a musician being taken advantage of, particularly by- their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, I mean, there's been child actors who have this happen to them too, but I'm like, you know, every time you like think of like some artist that you love, you look at like the first few years of their uh, um, yeah. career, it's like they were either destroyed by like a parent who was too involved or like they had to break free. Beyonce literally ran away from Matthew Knowles. <laughs> but she had Tina. She did. She had Tina. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have Tina Knowles in their lives. And that's right. the truth. And I think I think it was made clear, at least in that first documentary, I didn't see the other Netflix one, but that her mother was sort of like, you know, seemed real overwhelmed with the whole thing. And why wouldn't she be? Weren't they, what are they from Kentwood, Louisiana? I mean, how would they yeah. have known anything about this? I was going to say uh, about Shia LaBeouf in particular, there's also just a level of, I don't want to say forgiveness, but it's interesting how often I think we forget how many things he has done. You know, it's just like, yeah. there's, a, and so I guess that counts as forgiveness, that our cultural memory for bad behavior regarding men is so short. Uh-huh. And so we, I think we just expect it to a certain degree. And so after a while, you stop forgetting to think that's bad. And you just start thinking that's the way things are. You know, you're right. And I would really encourage everybody to read the Twigs interview that she did for Elle about mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the single most compelling interviews I've ever read about sexual assault and um, abuse. And I actually think it should be a required reading for every teen girl to read about what to look for. So I would highly recommend people go read that. Sorry, I didn't mean to go to the Shia LaBeouf wrote. But Lewis, I think you're exactly, exactly right. No, but also I think it's it's great that you bring that up because the weird thing about the Britney situation is you seemingly can't compare it to anything else. Like every obstacle she's been faced with is part of this weird legal loophole thing. And so to bring in just the idea of another celebrity who actually has behaved terribly despicably yeah. is like, yeah. it, it, I think it helps the brain solve what is in particular crazy about the Britney situation? Mm-hmm. I mean, I made the, I mean, you know, I made the joke earlier, but I mean, I feel like the only other person you could even almost sort of try and compare it to is Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. But that's also a difference in that her parents were much more craven in their like um, need for fame themselves that 
that Jamie Spears route never happened to her when she was partying with Britney around mm-hmm. that era with her and like Paris and everything. Paris comes from the Hiltons, so you know she was always protected. Lindsay Lohan, her parents wanted to be famous themselves. Jamie Spears, the sinister thing was he wanted just her money. He didn't want to be in the public eye, so it never became a situation like that with Lindsay. Well, it's funny because with Lindsay, Michael Lohan is a true criminal. I mean, he's a grifter, con man criminal. And I think even just recently I read that he got involved in something else. Like, he's constantly, constantly getting into trouble and getting arrested and, you know, violating Mm -hmm. his parole. This is just for you, Leslie. Yeah. Do you remember the most iconic thing that um, Michael Lohan's ever been in. Do you remember him being involved in that fight between Nene and Kim uh, and Sheree on Real Housewives of Atlanta? Uh-huh. I sure do. <laughs> Have you ever seen this, Lewis? No, I don't he think so. I forgot so, he was like, even ancillary to this he, universe. He, he is friends. He was friends with and having dinner uh-huh. with Kim Zolciak uh-huh. in of an course. episode. And Nene and Sheree see her and like they're getting into an argument and she's like yelling. <laughs> she's like... Lindsay Lohan's daddy. Lindsay Lohan's daddy. What are you doing over here with her? Come back, Lindsay Lohan's daddy. She keeps referring to him as Lindsay Lohan's daddy. I mean, as they chase Kim out of a restaurant and like pull her wig. I believe I levitated off my couch when that happened. My body physically lifted itself off the couch. That is, thank you, Ira, for reminding me of that. Um, The thing about Jamie that's so terrifying is that at least. Michael Lohan has always been pretty obvious about who he is and Dina as well. But Jamie really, I mean, to subvert your own child like that, to know that you've got a cash cow, to know that they Mm -hmm. need a break and to say, absolutely not. I've gotten a taste of this world and I'm not giving up this world. And to have a child who starts as as a kid star and to not allow them to have a choice to not do that is some of the worst abuse I can imagine doing to a child. It's really awful. And it's almost a form of imprisonment. You know, it really is. I think every single kid who starts, because I work with a lot of kid actors and um, I always get really nervous about it. And I just always say to them, and this is not right. And I probably shouldn't, but I'm always like, go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college. I'm begging you right now, take that four-year break. You'll never, ever regret it. Do it. Oof. Like it'll be wait- your career will be waiting for you. Don't worry. And I think when you deny your kid any of that stuff, it doesn't end well. Mrs. Grossman's opus over here. Wow, In- inspiring <laughs> the children. She's Miss Grossman now. <laughs> That's true. Miss Grossman since 2020. Okay, she's stepping out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she got, got her, her groove, groove back. back. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. This has made me endlessly happy. I appreciate it. All right. When we return, Lewis and I are going to sit down with Alan Cumming, but there is more with us and Leslie Grossman coming up. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes. When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite Lux home blanket. 
And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Truly, there's nothing that our guest today has not done. An actor, singer, activist, podcaster, and club owner. He is a multiple Emmy, SAG, and Golden Globe nominee, and a Tony and Olivier Award winner, and a best-selling author. So his new memoir, Baggage, is out soon. Please welcome the one and only Alan Cumming. Oh, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> You are clutching your skull as you listen to it. I was wondering what was going through your head. Yeah. You made it sound like it was going to be, I don't know, there was going to be a potential that I'd be like, what? <laughs> and culprit in a crime that only we know about. Yeah. Uh, this is the drawing room. <laughs> I forgot my, that's the thing now. Have you noticed that people in life, you go around carrying microphones and um, ring lights? with you wherever you go. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And I forgot both of those things. Well, I left them in upstate, and I don't have a ring light, and I don't have my microphone, and I feel bereft. You know, <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I just moved, and it's an ordeal. Um, and I realized, where's my ring light? I don't know where it is. So I'm using a lamp. Well, I have to say, you are the best lit of all of us. Oh, no. well, mm-hmm. thank you. In your book, which is lovely, by the way, the memoir. It really is. Thank you. I loved the chapter where you discussed Stanley Kubrick. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah. just being on set with him and then also Tom Cruise and what people's perceptions of his were at the time. You really say that that was sort of one of your most formative sort of like experiences as an actor. I mean, I, I don't know if it was formative, but it was a huge experience and that I really thought I might, I, I was at a stage in my life where I was a bit um, overacting. Mm. And since then I've embraced overacting with a vengeance. <laughs> but I, I was a bit over just being in films and stuff and the theater was a bit scary to me. I just, I didn't, I don't know. I was just a bit like, oh, maybe this is not for me. Mm-hmm. Cause there was another, a lot of other stuff going on in my life. But anyway, still so Stanley, doing Eyes Wide Shut, which was like a tiny part. It was like, a, you know, I say in the book, if had it been a, a normal film or a TV show, I would have been home by lunchtime on one day. I wouldn't have got even got to my free lunch. <laughs> and uh, with Stanley, I was there for a week and then he wanted me to come and keep, you know, I had to go and promote another film in America. Otherwise, he would have kept me going. So it really was just because his attention to detail and 
it made me just it sort of reinvigorated my interest in acting and actually what it's about and what you can do and how fun it is just to be someone else and really be detailed and really try and make every moment exciting. And so, yeah, I really think he inadvertently kept me being an actor, actually. There's also something so rad about that moment where he greets you and he's shocked you have a Scottish accent (laughs) and seems to be angry as if you have deceived him. And you responded with a a note of humor that I guess allayed him. But I don't know that that instinct would have occurred to me. So I have to say I'm proud of you. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I was also just, it was six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'd been waiting to do this film for like many, many months, mm-hmm. you know, many months. I'd taken time off and I, I didn't need to do it, but I sort of altered my life quite a lot in order to be able to do it. And the first thing he said to me when we, when I met him was like, oh, you're not, you're not American. He said that to me and I was like, uh, yeah, I know I'm Scottish. <laughs> And then, and then he went, you were American on the tape. Because I'd never met him. I'd only done, auditioned on tapes, you know, mm-hmm. in various countries around the world. And I said, yeah, that's because I'm an actor, Stanley. And he was, it was really one of those moments where I said it. And I, I felt Tom Cruise's sphincter tighten. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt, I was a bit like, oops. And then Stanley, I could see he, he looked at me and his eyes kind of, narrowed and he tilted his head and then he sort of smiled and I and I I knew in that moment that we were going to get on and he he got it he totally got it and I think that's the thing I think scary people like him we behave the way that people treat us you know it's like you give what you get all that sort of stuff so I think people behaved to him in a way that was like oh Stanley's so scary I'm so scared of you and when someone didn't do that he was like oh that's interesting and also it's kind of lazy when people do that. You know, you're just basically doing your greatest hits. You know, you're not really finding out who you really are. So I, just, I, I really loved him. He was great. I really, really liked him. And I really, it was so funny. The other day I was at the opera and Drew Barrymore was there. And she said to me, oh, I just saw that scene you did in Eyes Wide Shut the other day. I was like, what? Random lot of popular cultures merging in this moment. <laughs> Did Drew Barrymore explain why she was watching Eyes Wide Shut randomly? No, no, she didn't. But also, she didn't neither of us explained why we were randomly at the opera either. <laughs> there was a swanky, the opening of the opera, this amazing opera actually called Fire Shut Up In My Bones, that's what it's called. It's by Terence Blanchard. It's the first ever opera at the Met in New York, written by a black person. Mm. It was um, stunning. Such a great night to be there, actually. You know, when something historical is happening and you're you've been asked to attend. It was lovely. So she was there for that. And um, she recently <laughs> watched Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> now, to pull another random moment from your just awesome list of roles, something that stuck with me in this book is there are times in the set of X2 where you would be in your mutant apparel and makeup that took hours and hours. <laughs> and then you would find out certain days that Brian didn't want to shoot you. The way you describe it, it actually sounds traumatizing to me. That you were sitting in all of this waiting to just do something with the makeup only to learn nothing. And then they, they would, it would just be manually taken off one strip at a time. Was that like a harrowing ordeal for you? It was traumatizing. I mean, you know, I feel like it's a bit sort of, oh, boo-hoo. Oh, you had to get all your makeup on and take it all off again. But it was actually really demeaning, you know. And there was so little respect paid, not, not just to me, to everyone really on the set and so and also it was sore the makeup was sore and it was just it took like five hours every day to get it on and I've got a call sheet <laughs> in a drawer in my in my study that says 
uh, you know, it's from from that time, making X Men Two, and it says Alan pick up two twelve a.m. and that wasn't for like a night shoot. That was for like a normal day's filming. The, the crew oh. called like seven a.m. Mm. or something, and I was getting picked up at two twelve to go into the makeup chair. So you know, you get all ready, hours and hours and hours, and then you're just told that oh, they're not going to shoot that bit today. He's decided to do something else, or he's he's not feeling well or something. And so it was very, it wore me down. It really wore me down. I wore a lot of us down. And again, and a, a film that kind of changed me in that, you know, I actually realized I didn't want to be a part of a system and projects like that, that kind of validate that sort of behavior and abuse and disrespect. So it was, it was actually a very, ultimately it's a, it was a bit, I, I think of it as I'm grateful for that experience. I wasn't inured to that kind of behavior. I hadn't done lots of those kind of films. It was kind of early on. And I suddenly thought, fuck this, you know, I don't want to be a part of this at all. I don't want to. So I actually changed the course of my career in a funny sort of way. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it was definitely saddening to know that um, one of my favorite scenes, though, in a superhero movie from you uh, was your source of torment. I'm glad my trauma is feeling to you. <laughs> You gave and you gave. Yeah. No, I think, like, it's, like I also say in the book, you know, there's a few films that I mention that uh, were horrible experiences, but really great films. I really like X-Men too. I think it's a really good film. I think, I mean, I don't know, I haven't really followed superhero movies much since then. But like people say to me, oh, it was like the apex of superhero films. And I definitely, for me as a layman who didn't know much about comic book things and everything, I actually, as a film, I was like, I really like this. You know, I was proud to be a part of it and to promote it and everything. And um, Titus, that film I did with Anthony Hopkins and Jessica Lang, same thing. I, I, I really like the film, but it again, was a hideous experience. But I think that's the thing, you know, I'm actually much more concerned about the experience I have in my life than the products that, the pro or, you know, the mm -hmm. content that we call it now that that engenders. Yeah. Two of my favorite roles of yours are in Josie and the Pussycats and Spice World. Duh. Duh I'm gay. Uh, but I loved you also mentioning that um, how you got the role in Spice World. And it was from Jerry visiting uh, the theater and seeing Hamlet after she had lost her father yeah. and really connecting to you, which has to be the yeah. wildest way anyone's gotten cast in a movie about the Spice Girls. Well, I would, I would think so, yeah. I talked to Jerry quite recently and I feel we've got this sort of special connection because of that, because, you know, her dad died and about two days or three days later, she came to see me playing Hamlet and I was a very young lacrimose, I love that word. <laughs> it just means cry, cry a lot. Uh, I cried a lot, a lot in Hamlet, and I was I was in a bit of a state in my life uh, at the time myself. But but I think in a funny sort of way, I she sort of you know Hamlet is mourning the death of his father, and so in a funny way she and she was very kind of you know sort of not shut down about it, but she wasn't able to grieve yet. And so in a funny way, she saw me as this person who kind of understood her what she was going through and was sort of in grieving for her in a way. And so uh, that's why when a couple of years later, a few years later, when she was not just a student anymore, she was Jerry Spice and they were, you know, the hugest people in the world. And she sort of demanded that I be in a Spice World. <laughs> and uh, I remember my I remember actually being in bed with someone when my agent called one morning and I, 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 I answered the phone kind of, you know, mid mid chat. And, uh, 
<laughs> and he actually said to me, this is a weird one. Do you know the Spice Girls? I was like, well, you know, hello, I'm alive. And uh, and, and he said, and so then I, he said they want me to be in this, their film. And so I was like, fuck yeah. And then I discovered the real reason Jerry told me. And I always wanted to get a t-shirt saying, Ginger Spice saw my Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> She's such a sweet, they're all such darlings, actually. I've kind of kept in touch with her most of all, but I've run into them uh, over the years. Actually, one time, this is funny, um, I was in LA shooting something and I was staying at the Chateau Marmont and I went to the where those where that supermarket is on the on Crescent mm-hmm. Heights at the Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I had my dog, I had a bag of groceries and I was walking back to the Chateau Marmont and a car drew up behind me and the window came down and this woman shouted, hey, coming. It was um, Scary Spice, it was Mel B. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how did you, like, I had my back to you. I've got a pile of groceries in one hand and a dog. How did you know it was me? And she went, I'd recognize that ass anywhere. <laughs> Excuse me, by the way, I am by that Trader Joe's all the time. I do not see Mel just walking around. That's a very shocking thing to happen to you. No, it was kind of crazy. But it was, I was sort of in, in, in admiration of her people spotting skills from behind, you know? Mm-hmm. She must check out a lot of ass. Now, <laughs> which reminds me, by the way, you're the kind of person where if I hear you're friends with somebody, I'm interested in the friendship because you have a particular sense of humor. Like you seem like you, you pick friends like well, like when you made uh, the anniversary party with Jennifer Jason Lee, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a, a fun friendship. Who are the like, uh, like when you took Cameron Mannheim to the Tonys, like that I thought was like super rad. Who are the people you've like collected over the years who are like your favorite sort of actor friends? First of all, I don't really like the collected. Oh. I don't like, it seems like I'm acquiring people rather than just being a, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I'm sure they're attracted to you. I feel like there, there's some sort of magnetism, AKA collecting. All right, all right, okay, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> good recovery. <laughs> I think it's like a thing that, you know, like Jennifer and I, for example, are very different people, but there's something about, you know when there's something about someone that you just get or you're intrigued by or, you have some sort of connection. It's not necessarily logical or... I do have a lot of friends like that, that people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you're friends with blah, you know. When they see us together, they're like, oh, it makes total sense. Jennifer and I, because we did that film, The Anniversary Party, and we obviously did loads of press for it, and we talked about the fact that individually, we're two sort of very dysfunctional people, but together, we are quite one well-rounded person. And I think that's also, I think friends, you know, People that I like. I mean, I don't really have any friends that I think are really like me. I don't sort of know anyone who's really like me, actually, in terms of what I do and my background and everything. But I feel like a lot of my friends compliment me in a way. And I think that's a good way to, you know, you, the, the whole thing about that your lover or your husband or your wife or whoever is your other half. I think friends should be like that, too, that in some way they are a different part to life and to the world than you. And you both sort of complement each other. So... Yeah, Jennifer and I both, we still, you know, we're, uh, <laughs> I think she's hilarious. And uh, we're still toying with the idea of doing a sequel to the anniversary party. Mm. We're kind of doing it, working it on it a wee bit before COVID. And I actually really like the idea. So we're, I love the fact that life is long and you, there's things you can do like that. You don't have to do it in a certain structure. But I do have, I do have a lot of seemingly odd friends. I don't know, I just connect with people and I, I'm open to people. And so I think the people that I'm, really friendly with are, are people that are we, I'm just, we are both open to each other. And I think that's something that doesn't always happen. Some people you close off to because of some things. And like, I've got this relatively new friend called Dove Cameron. Oh, love her. <laughs> Adore Dove. Adore Dove. She's a darling. And we were in Schmidt yes. together 
and um, we just got on really well. And uh, <laughs> I think she's an absolute hoot. She was around here the other night, and uh, we went to the ballet last week, and caused a bit of a sensation. I have to say, I just I met her and I thought, oh, she's a nice girl. And like Kristen Chenoweth said to me, oh, she's like you know she was in this Disney thing, The Descendants, and she's like huge and yes. <laughs> very lovely. I didn't know those things, and all of a sudden one day we're on the set we're looking at instagram or something and and she's got 48 million followers it's so hilarious <laughs> and i'm like oh you know <laughs> it is quite nice though it's also that thing about feeling um i love the fact that i'm you know obviously old enough to be easily her dad but i also feel kind of you know we get on we connect in a way that's sort of real and not just a daddy older person sort of way and i like i love the fact i, I really like having younger people in my life for that reason sort of uh, you know, not I don't have children of my own, but I feel I have um, lots of people in my life who could be my children. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to imagine, you know, um, it would take a person who enjoys being around people to open a bar and club coming. I absolutely adore. Although I will say, have you been? I, oh, I've been. Oh, I've, I've been. been. Club coming yes. many, I've been mm-hmm. to club coming many times. Yes, and I, you know, I had been there when it was um, much seedier, when it was Eastern, Eastern Bloc. Bloc. Yeah, uh, I have not had sex in the bathroom of Club Coming. <laughs> Um, like I have. Good Lord. What kind of podcast is this? <laughs> you know what kind of podcast is this? All right. Moving right 200 along. episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I loved Eastern Block. It was like my favorite bar. So I bought my favorite bar, basically. Yeah. What a dream. I mean, yeah. what's it been like being a bar owner? Like, do you go from time to time just yeah. to be like, this is my spot? I've been less often recently because I've been away a lot. And I was there like the other Sunday. I popped in, did I modeled for the. Uh, anatomy class, the, the drink and draw thing on a Sunday night and watch TV comedy show. But when I, in the past, sort of pre-COVID, I, my favourite thing was to go, when I go, I go behind the bar mm-hmm. and, I, and I sling cocktails. And I just love it. And it's actually a really interesting thing because I've never been a waiter or a barman or a caterer. Or anything. Mm-hmm. I've never sort of done anything that, that wasn't, you know, acting. And obviously that's really annoying for people who are and you sort of because what I'm going to say is that I have actually longed to be a waiter or a barman. I actually really mm-hmm. love, I've not just with Club Coming, even before Club Coming, I used to ask if I could go behind the bar and serve drinks in, in bar mm. if they'd let me. I just love it. I love, It's a nice way to talk to everyone. There's still some mm-hmm. distance between you because of the bar and it's just a nice way to get to know everyone. And, um, and so now I can do it whenever I like, I just walk into, imagine just walking into a bar and going behind the bar and starting to serve people drinks. Mm-hmm. You really have like, I guess, fulfilled becoming the MC from Cabaret. There you go. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> uh, yes, I, I guess I have. I feel like I, I mean, the bar itself is is a sort of a very Weimari looking, red, lots of red velvet, lots of, you know, little chandeliers and sort of mottled, mirrored things. That was definitely the vibe we were going for. And I love that. I love that sort of dark, smoky although we're not allowed to smoke anymore you know i think it's a lovely place to sort of see people perform but also to dance and to kind of it's so funny like there's a thing in club coming there used to be a knitting night now it's a crafting we've kind of gone a bit more non-binary and we're we're uh, it's got general crafting on a, on a tuesday night early on and um i've never been to the crafting thing but because someone said well you won't like it. I said, I love crafting. I'd love to go. And I went, no, you won't like it, Alan, because they turn all the lights on in the bar so they can see all the crafting things. And I was like, oh, oh that's true. Because, you know, my club coming when the lights are on is not so pretty, like most of us. You know, it's like, 
at the end of the night when you're like, oh, who who are you? Uh, it's the, it's a terrifying thing to see a bar without the shadowy lighting. But that's what I like. I love smoke and mirrors. I love bringing people together and making them feel relaxed and and also welcome and, and that people are going to be kind to you. I hate the sort of, I hate the nightlife thing of everyone being so fabulous that that means they have to be mean to other people. I don't, I don't like that at all. So that's something that, that's an ethos at Club Coming that I've been very keen to propagate that, you know, you, everyone is welcome, everyone, all ages, all genders, all colors, all sexualities. And that has, when, and actually when you put something like that out to the world, people come to the place and sort of with that and they sort of manifest it. So it's a really special little club. I really like it. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited that it's kind of bounced back. And also because so many of the performers that we have performing there, you know, they had nothing to do over the time. And that was, I felt bad for them. So it's nice that we've been able to get them all back and feel whole again. Speaking of um, entertaining and I guess hosting, I was I thinking. Say speaking of my whole. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming later, right? We'll see how we tie up this interview. Um, no, but I, I remembered a few years ago you hosted the Tony Awards, and I looked at your just like TVography, and I was surprised that you actually don't do as much hosting as I would expect you do because you have such a like a MC, if you will, personality. And I was wondering if you consciously avoided that and just prefer acting, or how that is. I've done it sometimes. And I host sort of, you know, awards, like, you know, like or galas and things. I do charity things quite a lot. Uh, but in, I know what you mean in terms of TV things. I have been asked to do a lot more. I just feel like I, I think I could get stuck in it. And it's not really my thing, you know. There's a lot of things like that. I mean, I, I sort of, I do, lo- I do so many different things. But there's also things that I just always say no to. I don't want to be on those kind of show, panel shows and all that sort of stuff. It's, I mean, it's not, nothing against them. It's just that I feel that sometimes you allow people to not take you seriously, not, not necessarily seriously, but not to accept you in other things. And that's that truly is not a judgment about it at all. It's about how I think, how, 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 when I look at people in these, who do those kind of things, and then I see them in a role, I sort of believe them less. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it's something to do with that. If you're good at that sort of thing, if you're good at hosting and being funny and sort of chatty, as I am, then like immediately you can get sucked into a kind of vortex of it. And I like to do it more sparingly. I mean, I like going on talk shows and stuff like that and being funny and chatty. I do. But that's fair enough. You're kind of doing that. That's your sort of part of the circle of celebrity commercial life. Uh, I don't want that to also be my job outside of that. Mm hmm. What an actorly response. You are committed to the craft is what I think that means. <laughs> Hardly. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Alan. This was really delightful. Is it finished? And I, yeah, I mean, I think it is. Uh-huh. The book also touches on heavier themes, but unfortunately we are celebrity and pop culture obsessed, so we went that route instead. <laughs> Honestly, um, thank you so much for chatting with us. Yeah, today. what a pleasure. Alan. It's really been wonderful. Thank you, boys. It's been lovely. I've enjoyed this. Baggage Tales from a Fully Packed Life is on sale October 26th. When we're back, more with Leslie Grossman. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, 
Choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. Over the past few weeks, this is so dramatic, this intro, but the Wall Street Journal has been publishing a series of articles dubbed The Facebook Files. They reveal what we already knew. Facebook and Instagram are detrimental to our collective mental health, and Mark Zuckerberg's dark army knows that they're responsible for rampant teen depression, eating disorders, and suicide. As revenge on Monday... God saw fit to shut down Facebook's campus and site in addition to Instagram and WhatsApp. So we thought we'd take the time to talk about our relationship with social media. And how did you get through Monday? I also, I can't even, I don't think accurately journalistically describe what social media has done to me because my brain is so warped and filled with dips created by social media that I believe you could skateboard on it. I mean, I just am... Fucked, I think, ultimately. But weirdly, my, my problem is Twitter has always spoken to me because you just throw out forward dispatches. Like, to me, it's like low lift. Whereas Instagram is so about projecting an image literally. It's so about, and from what I see, like an image of happiness or of bliss or of contentment, that I, I find that in itself without the interactions with whomever is on Instagram, super exhausting. Because bliss is not super interesting to me. And yet, it's what we're ingesting from other people constantly. I have a lot of feelings about this topic. And because I am uh, the elder statesman out of this group. Oh, yes. Because I had an entirely analog childhood and young adulthood. Okay? Mm. So when I was dating in my 20s, my boyfriend would fax me love notes and then send... um, a code to my beeper. Slay. So I, oh th- there was no you social You were working media. girl. And also yeah. what you need to know, well, my agent was going to beat me, but the thing that's <laughs> was, had social media existed when I started acting, I don't think I would have stayed. And I don't yeah. think I could have mm. done it because in my early twenties, I think it would have absolutely destroyed me. And I have a child who's going to be 15 next month. And when I say it's devastating and terrifying and I don't think the right choice is to say she can't have social media. There's a really wonderful woman named Lisa Demore who wrote a book called Untangled, where if you have a preteen or teen girl, it's the Bible. Mm. And she's just a brilliant parenting expert. And what she said is you have to parent for the world that you live in, not the world you wish existed. Mm. And what that means is you got to teach your kid how to deal with social media, not pretend it doesn't exist. Because if I denied it and I said, you're not allowed to have it, first of all, that would socially isolate her. That's not fair. That's not the reality of her world. And what will she do? Lie about it to me. Mm -hmm. And she will figure out a way to get an account and keep it from me. And I need to help teach her how to navigate through it. Now, I think I've overcorrected in the other way where I have terrified her in a way that is so extreme (laughs) that I'm like this. I was like, when she first got Instagram, she got it when she was 13. And I was like, okay, just FYI, this is a hurt feelings machine. This is going to hurt your feelings every day because when you were a kid, remember you'd get to school on a Monday and you'd hear about a sleepover that some kids had and you'd be like, ow, I wasn't invited. Well, now you get to watch it in real time. You get to see all their posts and all their stories about all the fun they're having that you weren't invited to as it's happening while you're sitting home alone in your room. 
and then forget about the horrific aspect of filters and, you know, it's an eating disorder machine and all of those things. Mm -hmm. I would like to say that I never, ever got a Facebook because when Facebook first started, I was like, why would I want to keep in touch with anyone from high school? Like, why would I want to be an open, (laughs) like someone can come at me? So I never, ever had a Facebook and I'm happy about that. Although Instagram is now Facebook and it doesn't matter. But when I started Twitter, which I loved, when Twitter first started, because I was like, oh, I can follow Meryl Marco. Like that was my dream. Like just my favorite (laughs) writers and people I love so much. And I can see what they're thinking on a daily basis. And it really was a way, like I connected with my favorite writers and, you know, people I thought were so brilliant. And to me, that is dead and that is over. And that space is now a nightmare hellscape that I don't go near except for I am asked to do things for work. And I will do that. And I am very politically involved. So I will, like, people will ask me, can you please post this link or whatever? And I'm happy to do that. But particularly with younger kids, and I don't care if I sound like a fucking old lady, everyone can kiss my old fucking fat ass. I don't care. (laughs) Um, There is a generation of children that have grown up entirely online. And it has created this misanthropic nightmare, humanoid person who doesn't understand how to communicate in person and only understands how to communicate through a screen. And what I have seen happen from that is a viciousness, a meanness, a lack of nuance, of critical thinking, and particularly being on a genre show that has a really fervent fan base. And I do want to say that 99% of my interaction is entirely positive and people are quite lovely and I appreciate it. But I was warned before going on the show how intense it can be. And I do think that there is a subset of people who their entire lives are lived on a computer and Mm -hmm. it's not normal. It's not healthy. And I think it's a form of sociopathy. Oh, sure. And I definitely, and I find it terrifying and deeply, deeply concerning. And when uh, Instagram went out yesterday, I found it relieving. I found it relaxing and I was thrilled about it. And frankly, I think they should shut that shit down two days a week. How about that? How about shut it down? Um, As a person who lived in the before times and now lives in the after times and sees how stark that difference is. And you can talk to this, you guys, about how Facebook knows how awful it has made people and they've done nothing to fix that. Anyway, that's my rant. Edit me all you want. <laughs> I have. I could talk about it for 45 more minutes. I feel so strongly about it. I think the thing also is like we interact with social media seemingly some of the time. Like some of the time we're on our phones. But honestly, there's something about it that really becomes... 90% of your life. Like it just. You're always thinking about yes, it. Right. When you th- when, I mean, I'm not on Twitter anymore. Yeah. But like the way that you would think of a tweet, the way that you yes. would ask someone, like, oh, is this funny? And you'd think about tweeting it later. You'd be like, oh, this should be, I should write this. Or like you're thinking about when you're going to post an Instagram. You're thinking, like, have I posted too much today? You're thinking, should I like this person's post, et cetera. You're, you're constantly thinking about it. And what's interesting is you talking about, you know, being before times and now this after time, just Lewis and I are, I mean, I guess the last people of that age who are both. Yeah. We grew up without social media, but we grew up up with the invention of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like each year in school, there was a different version of like, like we went from number munchers to (laughs) (laughs) um, AOL Mm -hmm. to Google, you know, to 
everything. We've been the age that has seen the creation and of all of it. And I feel like that's why we still, there's still like part of us that's like always has that pull to be like, I don't want to be a part of social media. Right. Like I know what life could be like without using it. But then you pull yourself back into it, you know? And I get a little bit of what you were saying, Leslie, because, you know, I have a, a niece who's mm -hmm. um, 14, you know? And um, I had to be the one to tell our family, I was like, uh, her Instagram profile should be private. Yeah. I didn't know that. It, sh it, sh it should not be public. Well, I have to say something that I've done to scare the life out of her is, and this is not just social media, it's her phone in general, is I said, absolutely nothing involved with your phone is private. And every email, every text, every picture, why don't you act like it's going to be on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard? That's how comfortable you need to be with everyone seeing it. Nothing is ever deleted. Nothing is ever gone. And something can now get around to every single kid in your grade in LA in under three minutes. So that really got to her. And she really understood that. And I was like, this, this is not private. Your phone, there is nothing private about your phone. That's like standing on a street corner. And I do think she gets that. Mm -hmm. I want to say that I have many interactions on Instagram that are lovely. You know, Lindy West lives in Washington and I love seeing, like I, she posted the most beautiful picture of herself yesterday. And I was like, I love it. Oh, it was gorgeous. Face. And I like whatever she pops up in my feed That's because what she I'm left saying. Twitter. So there's people that I love that I'm so happy to see them and, and people who are so lovely to me and, and people that I've met because of Instagram that I've admired or, you know, that stuff can be really great and positive. Um, so I don't want to trash the entire thing, but I think mm -hmm. it needs to be treated like a fucking cobra in a basket. <laughs> like mm. that thing will bite you and hurt you. And you need to approach it very purposefully and very carefully. And I think you need to teach your child the reality of it and really be involved. Don't let, I know that your audience probably is not like, it's not a big parenting audience. <laughs> but, but, we I, have parents. but like you said, or whatever, that's true. I'm one of your audience members. I'm a parent. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, you said something, Ira, about how much it consumes your life. Well, did I like that picture? Should I like that picture? Hmm. I am now really off of Twitter. And now it's I'm off of Twitter. That's also an active thing. Oh, I'm not yeah. on Twitter mm -hmm. anymore. And there's sometimes I'm like, I want to write something or I saw something funny and I wanted to say it. Mm -hmm. And then what I think to myself is, well, how is someone, this can be manipulated and turned around in a way that I never meant it and it's not worth it. Mm. And all I think now is for what gain, for what gain am I writing something that some asshole mm. can be like, really? What does that mean? And I'm like, dumb, dumb. I don't need to explain to you what that means that you're misinterpreting what I fucking said. Mm. Guess what? It's not worth it to me anymore. Forget it. You guys can go have fun ripping each other apart. I'm not going to take part of it any longer. Something that's also difficult is in criticizing the nature of like the, that kind of person on either Instagram or Twitter or whatever, is that it's like criticizing Trump in that you feel so fruitless because the shamelessness is apparent. Like exactly. it almost it almost doesn't even warrant a comment. Like it's so obvious. But again, the shamelessness means it continues. They just keep doing it, whatever. I was thinking recently, I was at a house full of visiting gay guys. A dream. And a dream. Yes, what what could be better, right? Nothing. And this guy came over who a bunch of us knew from Instagram. Not well, but he came over. And I like greeted him. And as the day went on. He didn't talk to anybody, and we sort of wondered what happened to him. And he ended up taking his, like, power selfies out on the deck away from everybody and just wasn't talking to anybody. It was just getting his content, and then he wow. was about to leave. Sure. And I said to him, and by the way, it's like, this made me feel a million years old, but 
it occurred to me like people don't even have a reason in person not to be rude mm -hmm. because socialization has become so gamified that it's like Pokemon Go or something. You're just collecting points on this for this one platform in this one endless stream of content as opposed to, I know, I, again, I sound a million years old, interacting with people, yep. like giving people anything to work with socially, having actual fun. What's hard for me is realizing how much there is just not much incentive for certain people to even be cool anymore. You know, just Such it's all point, it's all about just momentary valid or not just even validation, but like popularity. I don't know. It's just it, it does suck. I, I all I can say is it sucks and I haven't solved it. It's an approximation of a life. It's not a life. Yeah, that's not a life. That's not an existence. That's that's curated content like what you just said. Mm -hmm. To that respect, I feel like, you know, it was funny when Instagram went down because I had even started spending slightly less time on it. You know, I love scrolling and looking at photos of friends and stuff, but I had made an active choice to just sort of like post less of what I do yeah. on it, you know, mostly because, you know, you get to the point where it's like, listen, I ha we have this podcast, you know, where we talk mm -hmm. weekly about like things we've seen or whatever, you know? So I'm like, but I don't need to document for like people who are watching me what I see, even though I get that that's why people enjoy following me because they want to know like yes. what culture I'm consuming. It, it's just this weird push and pull. But also Ira, you're like, both of you are really fucking good at it. Like, that's the thing is you guys are a joy and a pleasure to follow. Like, you think I don't want to see what Ira's up to in Paris? Oh, I want to see all of it. Louis, exactly <laughs> like when you do your, your questions, when people ask you questions and you answer, I'm like, this is your smartest, funniest friend who's like giving you all this wonderful entertainment. So you guys are doing it right. Do you know what I mean? Like this is mm -hmm. the best of what that has to offer. The point is that is like half of 1% of what's really out there. True. And the shit that people will come onto my page and write like crazy fucking QAnon shit. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like stuff where I'm like, I can't, like when I posted a picture, of course I vaccinated my daughter the minute her age group was eligible. People wrote to me, you are an awful mother. How could you do this? You are part of the, what is that adenochrome, whatever the fuck that shit is. <laughs> like people wrote shit mm. to me and it's like- I can't believe Vicki Gunvalson wrote those things to you. <laughs> <laughs> Christy Swanson knows you? Wow, I know, yeah. but it is, I mean, it is so, first of all, I'm like, why the fuck are you following me? Like, it's just the craziest thing. But it's a real cesspool, guys, and it makes me feel real icky. So I have really pulled back and, and backed off. And mm -hmm. I have to tell you, Mark Zuckerberg is... Uh, She's evil. She's evil. But I mean evil in a way that is... I think we don't even begin to know what yeah. the reality of this really is. The one thing I will say about Instagram, though, and, and you and I talked about this on the phone last night, Instagram has become the only good dating app. This is what I'm hearing. Mm. It's the only good dating app, and it's actually where I met Paul, the person I'm currently dating. And so, I you know? was telling you, Ira, that I have friends that have met wonderful people because they have friends in common. I, yeah. and so this isn't just like a random person. This is like, oh, hey, you're friends with my friend Jack. Mm -hmm. And you sort of start talking, and I have heard really positive things about people meeting people on Instagram. You called it organic when we were talking. I feel like it feels like one of the last ways would feels like you're organically meeting someone that you have mutual friends with right. in the way you used to do at a party. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. Paul and I followed each other earlier this year on Instagram and interacted. But then when we happened to both be in New York at the same time, 
that's when we met at a party. And so it's sort of like there are, you know, like some gays can just use it like grinder. But there's also the thing of you're interacting with someone and develop at least a taste for their interests mm-hmm. and what they're into. And then you organically run into them because the Instagram flirting, and maybe you could say it as a different way, Lewis, but I just feel like the Instagram flirting, it's less of a drive of like being on an app or even totally. like a hinge or something because mm-hmm. there's no immediate sense of like, well, the purpose of this interaction is to create a date. Right. right. So we have to Agreed. go to this. Right. Something about Tinder always feels stodgy for that reason, right? Yeah. Like, we're here for the sole purpose yeah. of a weird, particular social interaction, whereas exactly. Instagram, yeah. everything's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right. I think what we're learning is you have to really curate your social media interaction and your experience. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be really careful about monitoring your time, about how you interact with people. And who you choose to give your time and focus to. And it's really important to step away. I think what's hard is, I mean, I've heard friends say things like, you know, if people disturb you on social media, like don't follow them. You don't have to follow them. To which I say, (laughs) but you want to know what your friends are up to and you want to know what people are up to. So it's like, Mm -hmm. don't be curious. Like, it's like you, you can't just shut random people off and say some people are toxic and some aren't, you know, because like every, I think everybody has the potential to stir feelings in anybody else. But I am surprised that now in my 30s, I'm more like, as someone who like follows a ton of gay men and stuff, I'm more self-conscious about my looks now than I was in my 20s. Really? When I like, for instance, for instance, like never went to the gym, didn't care. any. I was like a string bean and that was my whole life. Like now it's like you're given so much information about... What people, like, if it feels like all of humanity is like, there's a pyramid and there's one person at the top that everybody is kind of aiming after, that we want, and everyone else is sort of falling down the pyramid some other place. Anyway, it's all delusion. It's, God, that's so smart. But, Lewis, that's yeah. so smart. And how about how there's entire yeah. body types, particularly for women, that are meant only to be seen on Instagram. Right. Oh, And it's a totally. certain body that's for Instagram. What the fuck? That is so dark. There's the gay Instagram body, too. You know, you rarely see these people in person. Yeah. Right. Because they're just in their bedroom taking the same photo in front of a mirror. But for women in particular, (laughs) it's this overly exaggerated waist and then, like, the huge hips and tush that Mm -hmm. looks a certain way in a picture that looks very different in person. Venus Hot and Tots influence. (laughs) I want to say, Leslie, also, it should be pointed out that what women are subjected to on social media, I think, is still underestimated by men. Yeah. It is still so insanely aggressive and targeted, and they never get tired of it. Like, these horrible people keep going. I mean, like, it's, it's usually women who find themselves chased off social media and needing to leave social media. And I think yep. particular attention should be paid to the fact that men are doing this to women. That's what's happening. Thank you for saying that. You're exactly right, Lewis. Yeah. How depressing. Well, you know, men suck everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I seem to have noticed that myself, yeah. Uh, You know what I will say is that the only thing I actually do miss about Twitter, and it's the thing that I still log on to do, is, uh, well, can't log on, just go to the actual page to do now, is I miss... Real Housewives Twitter. I know. That's all I miss. I miss, like, when a new episode airs, I just have to look through, like, the hashtag yeah. to see what other people are saying about the show because it's fun. Like, yeah. that's that's the thing I miss because that's also what I grew up on. Like, my first um, social media um, experiences were being on, like, message boards for, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, like, mm-hmm. X-Files and things, you know? And, like, so I miss 
the conversation that would happen about a TV show as soon as you finish watching it. I agree you know? with you, but don't get you, back to that. But don't you feel like 2016 just fucking ruined? Like I just felt like really I'm going to tweet about Nini when like <laughs> everything is on fire. Like I just felt like it was so irresponsible and gross to be talking about like Dorinda. You know, even though that is all I want to talk about, but no, baby, you have to live. I know live. I have to live, and I can hold two thoughts at the same time. Yeah, it, I mean, Housewives Twitter is toxic too, but you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Potomac fans are nasty. <laughs> I've dealt with the thoughts of like, uh, is there any worth in just tweeting something, you know, quote unquote, funny or benign mm-hmm. or whatever? And I think the fact of the matter is, yes, because. That is what I think Twitter is supposed to be. But Lewis, but yeah. Lewis, you're so good at it. That's the thing is you're a brilliant and wonderful writer. So this is exactly what you should be doing. You're probably one of a hundred people in the whole goddamn hell app that's good at it. You must keep doing it because you're so fucking smart. Mm. Most people are not. So you must. Mm. I I implore yeah. you. There could be a hundred people wow. on Twitter. <laughs> And then you just need one person, Louis Vertel. That's it. To tweet to a tweet joke. Juliet Binoche about- jokes. Yes, exactly. We need yeah. it. Well, it's very nice of you, Leslie. Thank I you. I mean it. I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it, honey. Well, I think we've talked enough about the toxicity of social media. And coming up, we're going to get toxic ourselves because it's the keep it segment. <laughs> Love it. And we're back for our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it is Keep It. Leslie, you're our guest. You go first. Okay, this is not some highbrow, fancy, intellectual answer. Here's what everyone needs to keep. Can people stop walking in the street? People now walk in the street. That's the thing I see where people walk in the street and then act truly shocked that there's a car and act irritated and annoyed. Yesterday, a woman, two dogs, baby strapped to her chest, in the middle of the road. This is Los Angeles, girlfriend. What are you doing? It makes me angry in a way. It's the same people who, when you, they're walking in a crosswalk, stop in the middle, look at their phone. They stop. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. So this is what people need to keep. Spatial awareness of automobiles and don't walk in the street. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. People don't do it the way that New Yorkers walk in the street, because you walk in the street in New York with a purpose. Different. From A to Z, quickly. Correct. People meander, especially yes. on Melrose oh. here. When I'm driving down Melrose, the way people just be hanging in the street, <laughs> having a cup of coffee. That's what I'm saying. Making an Instagram. Get yeah. on the fucking road. Get out of the road. <laughs> yeah, I was say, you've actually tapped into my number one LA pet peeve, and I mean pet peeve in that, it's not horrific that they do this. I'm just shocked that it happens. People who don't move it across a crosswalk. No. As in, if I'm mm-hmm. turning right and I have to go over a crosswalk, mm-hmm. you understand that if you move faster across this, and I'm talking only to like able-bodied people who could move faster, yes. you realize like then the whole city moves faster, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like uh, being a part of the efficiency machine, that should inspire you. You live in LA. We like that, you know? Speak of spatial awareness... I, you you think that people would have more coming out of a pandemic, but mm-hmm. absolutely not. Mm-mm. The way that people still will just hover yep. near you completely, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. if none of this ev- has ever happened. The past like two years has not happened. 
why are you so close to me? <laughs> Don't stand so close to me. But I tell people. I will turn around and say, oh, no, you got to back up. Got to back up. I can, I can hear you breathing. I can hear you breathing. No, no need. No need. That's how you address Michael Myers, too. You're too close to me. I can hear you breathing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse me, Michael. Lori's over there. All right. <laughs> I haven't babysat in years. Yeah. <laughs> if you're living in that town... Would you just be mad at this? I, f- I feel like people should be mad at every final girl in a sequel. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. When people start dying and scream too, I'd be like, bitch, why did you come to my school? <laughs> you need to be homeschooled. Yeah. If I find out fucking Sydney is at on my campus, I am transferring. I'm oh, going to yeah. DeVry. She's irresponsible. Okay? Yeah. Lori Strode. <laughs> Halloween H2O. Laurie Strode is like, just teach it at your school. Nope. No, bitch. Get out of here. The psycho tried to kill you in the 70s. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the background checks that I want on people in my life. I love it. Were you stalked by a deranged killer? (laughs) And are they still alive? Right. And and as as their costume become (laughs) iconic and that copycats would then pick it up. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Always worried about a copycat killer. Uh, please. And the movie Copycat, where <laughs> Harry Connick Jr. was terrifying. <laughs> what, was, that the, was that the one Sigourney Weaver's in? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Great movie. Cinema. Great movie. Good for you, Lewis. Yeah, Cinema. 1993. I, we miss you. Oh, you're amazing. Okay, go on. I always confuse Copycat with Splice, even though they're completely mm. different films. But, like, you would see them both on, like, a Saturday night edited down for network television. So I sort of see yeah. it. Anyway, <laughs> Lewis, what's your keep it? My keep it is uh, brief this week, and it's just to all the wrong and rumor-filled buildup to whatever Adele is doing. Stop <laughs> being wrong, everybody. I don't want to hear your theories about what kind of music we're getting or what kind of thing she's pulling off or how you know she threw away some other album and now she's putting out this up. Ep- you don't know shit. Stop it. The woman is works in a fortress. She's like the other Enya. We don't know what we don't know what goes on over there. The you know? Enya. Well, she did reveal that Easy on Me is coming October 15th. Okay, we can agree on that. That's coming out October 15th. All right, I'll listen yeah. to that when it comes out. You know who said that? Adele. Not <laughs> not popcrave.backslash/biz or whatever the fuck thinks they know shit. <laughs> Remember she played it several nights at the Staples Center? This was like four years ago or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went to more than one night of that concert. And I had my one and only truly religious experience at an Adele concert where mm. she was singing, you know, that's my own town, my hometown. That yeah. Home, uh, yep. From the first my hometown. There you go. Yeah. I'm not going to sing it. And I <laughs> had an out-of-body experience where I was like, this is a human being who was born to have this voice and have 20,000 people in an arena listen to this voice and change their lives and make them, like I literally had a crazy, and then I started crying. I had a crazy religious out of body moment at an Adele concert about her talent. Thank you, that's all I wanted Mm. to say. Do you know what my favorite Adele song is? And it bothers me that it's not more people's favorite is Send My Love to Your New Lover. Like I love that song. Like the swingy, dancey quality to it. So yeah. good. Like too many of her songs are like sad on sad for me. Like, oh, yeah. here's a ballad about being sad. Like it's already <laughs> a ballad. You don't have to keep talking about being sad. Mm. I really like When We Were Young. No, I can't. But that I need to be in a very specific mental state to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that will kill me. But Send My Love to Your New Lover is a great song. You know, we've... What is it? We both think kids no more. Oh, yeah. Oh. 
so good. Don't I sound just like her? I sound just like Adele. <laughs> you know what's interesting? Now that the Adele era is incoming, mm -hmm. 25 was released in 2015. Oh, so, really? Yeah, 25 was 2015. Wow. That's how long she has. It's been a long time. Yeah. She left us without Are a dope beat sure? to step two. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my 2015. God. That's crazy. This podcast has existed in a non Adele world, and Lewis is going to be getting a front row seat to how Adele high I am. Oh, <laughs> should I be frightened? Adele or? is my girl. Yeah. Yes. She mm. is the mother I never had. Okay. Because mm -hmm. you do have a the mother. Sister, <laughs> everybody would want, the friend, everybody deserves. I don't know a better person. We're gonna go to her concert together, right? You could see me cry. Oh, absolutely. Know. We're going. We're going to Adele together. Okay. <laughs> okay. I will buy every Adele CD that is at the local Starbucks. Okay. Because yeah. mm -hmm. You know they are. They are getting ready. Right. <laughs> I spent an amount of money on those tickets. That was something my accountant actually was like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Not to be discussed. <laughs> Not your business. How about that? Not your business." <laughs> uh yeah. I feel like. Um, Everyone is just ready for um, her to dominate yes. the airways for oh, heaven. the next six years with one album. <laughs> yeah, right. How very um, Shania Twain, you know, back in the um, come on over days. And she's like, this album has 19 singles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, except, you know, Adele albums get you in your feelings, so you're yeah. not feeling up. You're feeling down. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God, Adele releasing an album called Down! Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> <laughs> One day she's going to get old of these years. Yeah. She's going to be like, why the fuck did I tell them how old I am? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, her seventh album will be called None of Your Business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my keep it this week goes to the um, white women text network that is um, – making a concerted effort to release stories about Denzel Washington. This oh, time. wow. We've learned so much. <laughs> yeah. We've learned so much. And I, I have many keep it within one umbrella keep it. The first one goes to Ellen Pompeo, who on her podcast explained a wild story uh, about when Denzel Washington directed an episode of Grey's Anatomy. And I first want to say that Lately, why is it whenever a celebrity says something wild, it turns out that they said it on a podcast that they host that you didn't know that they had before? Right. I didn't know she had a podcast until I... I didn't either. It's just interviewing Patrick Dempsey on it, and they're talking about Denzel Washington uh, and the fight she had with him, and not about how Patrick Dempsey allegedly terrorized everybody on the mm. set of Grey's Anatomy. We didn't talk about that. What's it, is it called Pompeo and Circumstance? Or is it Pomp Save America? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dang. Oh my the king God. of pomp yeah oh. right i mean lots of options so many wow the queen oh. of pomp see i've done it there we go okay <laughs> mm. wow pomp palms yes right that's what yeah. the fans are called right yeah pomp palms <laughs> so she described a story about how, like, um, Debbie Allen was like, I'm going to do something exciting for you. Get, like, uh, something hot, something hot for Grays. Because, you know, like, the show's been on for 75 years. And um, <laughs> you got to do something to keep it fresh, you know? Give them, give them something fun so that you can keep wanting to go into work. Um, and 
So she got Denzel Washington to direct an episode. And Ellen says that like she's on set, having a scene, and she says a line of dialogue that is not in the script. And Denzel Washington's like, don't do that. Stick to the script, you know? Like, um, they get into a back and forth with each other. And I wanna say that one, I can get being mad at Denzel in this moment because I think that the whole joy of like being an actor is, you know, like, um, you know, finding a moment to like play in a scene, et cetera, you know, like, you know, like t snapping at her because she said two lines that aren't in the dialogue seems wild, but maybe you could speak differently to that, Leslie. I don't know if Ryan throws a book at you if you say what he hasn't written. Yeah. <laughs> Although I yeah. wouldn't do it. I mean, I'll be honest, like, I would, but I'm, I'm not Ellen Pompeo, like who's like right. owns that show. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, her response to Denzel was, this is my fucking show. <laughs> Which, okay, girl, work. You are making Kaylee Cuoco money, so yeah. it is your show. But the keep it goes to the next part of her story. The fact that she said that when Denzel Washington's wife came on set, she went and told her that she got into a fight with Denzel. And I was like, you could have a spat with Denzel Washington on set, but why are you involving his wife? No. It felt like... <laughs> Guess it's what like just when, uh, happened? It's like on Real Housewives when they involve like someone involves like a husband. It's like they didn't want to hear any of this. They didn't want to see you throwing a salad at Denzel Ellen. <laughs> so my keep it was to involving Paulette in the drama and then also weirdly just like um describing the story as if it was like a funny anecdote. Um. Yeah, it is. You could sort of hear in the way she told that, like, she's not hearing that this is coming off as, like, a dubious interaction. Yeah. And then I say network of white women texting about Denzel's stories because Katie Couric was just on Danny Pellegrino's podcast. Whom we love. And talked about how she had a weird interaction with Denzel Washington, no way. too. She did? What yeah, was her interaction? She, did. she said that she, when she was interviewing the cast of The Manchurian Candidate. Oh, a movie that does exist. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I like that film. I mean, I like the original. Jonathan Demme did what needed to be done. Don't All speak right. ill of the dead. <laughs> oh, uh, Angela Lansbury is still alive, so how about that? Uh, <laughs> um, apparently she was asking him a question about politics and Hollywood and you know whether or not like actors should be involved in politics and she asked him you know what do you think when people say Hollywood folks shouldn't be and he interrupted her and said uh, what's that I don't know any Hollywood folks Hollywood is just a street <laughs> <laughs> I and feel like, like you know a couple what? of Hollywood folks. <laughs> and he was, she was like, she Maybe said that she said, well, you're an actor. And he said, I'm not an actor. Acting's what I do. I'm a human being. Whoa. <laughs> okay. All right. I have to disagree again. You're an actor. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe my keep it is a little bit to Denzel Washington, but also all of this is wild. Right. What's happening? Who's next? Katie jumping on that with the story is a, a weird move. But mind you, is this just part of her book too, which seems pretty juicy? Oh, I'm buying that book and I'm reading that book. Yeah. I want every Katie Couric story, every single one. I want you to know that Katie is a good time that I met her at the Vanity Fair Oscar party and she was amazing and awesome and then followed me on instagram after and i was like yes i love her and i will buy that book <laughs> she's with it she's with it she did the same i did her podcast with gia tolentino years ago uh and she was so delightful 
So, I mean, yeah, Katie, I I'm love a Katie you. Fan. Yes, I'm a Katie fan. Yeah. Katie, I love you. I just want, I just want to know what's going on. Like, um, <laughs> I just want to know what's going on. Yeah. Like, you know, who who else has a Denzel story, and are you all texting? I want to see the group thread. I do have to say that I rarely get starstruck, and I don't really care about actors at all. He is one of the few people that I would be rendered speechless, that I would be very freaked out. I'd be super nervous. Like, I I really, like, I, I have major feelings about him of, like, kind of worship. I'll be honest about that. Well, the, mm. the Pelican Brief, I mean, come on. I'm in. <laughs> You're, Lewis, you're incredible. Another 1993 film. Wow, I'm really stuck there today. I was going to say, what were you, 11 years old at that point? I was seven, but okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I would get caught in a hurricane with Denzel Washington. How about okay? that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And Loretta. Yeah. Roman J. Yeah. Israel exquisite. How about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Denzel Washington. That man is on fire. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow, Ira, how dare you? Weren't we just talking about Denzel Washington movies last week? Oh yeah, right. I think we were. Were we? We were talking about the movie um, Deja Vu. Imagine not talking about that movie. (laughs) See, the thing is, we talk about the exact same things on this show all the time, Leslie, and we'll probably find out that this is the exact same conversation we had when you were on last time. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Time is a flat circle. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a delight. I want to tell you, starting my day with you two kings is the best. So thank you for having me. I love and adore you both so much. And you're just the smartest and the funniest. And I love to hang around you whenever I can. My God, what a blessing. Aww. Thank you so much for being with us, Leslie. <laughs> and Listen, saying that, I'll, I'll take that with me on this, on the uh, morphine-like high you just threw me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when Adele drops that album, <gasps> let's have a little listening party. Yes! Mm. Can we really, though? Yes. Can we really? Yes, I would adore it. Okay, but is it going to make you uncomfortable when I openly weep? No, no. We sit in a room and clutch pillows and just let it hit hit us. Perfect. It's a a date and it's a plan. Yes. Uh, Thank you again for being here. Thank Thank you to Ellen Cumming for joining us as well. And this was our 200th episode. Look at you. And our final. There's no more. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? We've been cut off. We've been canceled. John Favreau's Revenge. Tommy burst into tears and said, enough. <laughs> no, we'll be back. And honestly, I will say that, like, 200 is shocking. Yeah. It's I, I, will, I will not sit here and pretend that I didn't think we'd get to, like, 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, 200? This is four years. We're about to start year five in 2022. Good Lord. Um, yes. Also, thanks, everybody, for listening to us and putting up with us and um, gr- growing with us through this fucking podcast. We miss you, Aida. Come back, Aida. Uh, yeah. yeah. But otherwise, uh, thanks, everybody. And you can thank us for what we've done for you for 200 episodes by liking and subscribing <laughs> to the show on Apple Podcasts. So do that. And leave a good review. If you leave a bad review, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston, and our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is me, Ira Madison III. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. And hey, stay safe out there. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.